0: Well, good evening, everyone. Um, you know what's really cool about this weekend is you're gonna be able to say after this weekend that you made it to church when all the other services were canceled. You were the one who made it. That's fantastic. I am uh, seriously very thankful to be here today. It was a bit of a drive, but I am uh, super glad to be here today. Uh, today I wanna speak especially from God's word and what I feel will be, I pray, will be a message of hope. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 10, Psalm 10. 10th Psalm is where we're going to, and in the middle of that song, we get introduced uh, to a conflict that the writer is enduring. A uh, Suffering has hit his life. Trouble has come, and like all of us, when trouble comes, we begin to ask big questions. When the suffering is severe, we begin to ask the major questions of life. They're, usually, it's a where and a why. Where were you, God? Where are you, God? And why did this happen, God? And in a very raw way, the psalmist is going to ask these questions today as well as we study uh, God's word together. And I hope for you there's an encouragement from God's word uh, in the passage, specifically if you find yourself in this place today and find yourself in a place of suffering even here tonight. I hope that for you tonight uh, there will be hope there will be peace, there will be worship even tonight. And what you're going to see in just a second, and I know I'm going to read it, I will, I promise, but you're going to see a conflict uh, uh, as, as you get to watch the psalmist wage a dogfight with his own soul. He's going to wrestle with the situation first in the first 13 verses, and he's going to ask the question, where are you, God? What's going on here, God? And then he's going to come to a resolution. He's going to exhale deeply and say, ah, that's what God is doing. Like a plane that wrestles with turbulence, he's going to fight through it, and then it's going to be steadied in the end. Steadied himself with the truth of who God's word is. So let's get to the text, but one last thing before I do, I should tell you this. This, this message is, is just for real people, okay, tonight. Uh, just for real human beings who struggle in real ways. You know what I mean? Not, not, not somebody who's just fake. Not some, you know, you ask that person, hey, how you doing? Everything's great today. Everything's great today. And you know, you see the pictures. Their life is like a Pinterest account. And it's like, you know, oh, look at the kids. They're in white linen and they're running through a field and there's white doves. This is not for, if that's you tonight, that's not for you. Uh, this is, I want to talk to messy people who live in a messy world and deal with messy crises. Uh, maybe even some who are hurting even in an unusual way of pain here tonight. So if you feel that way tonight, great. That's wonderful. You don't have to have it all together. The psalmist doesn't have it all together. This is exactly how this person felt when he wrote this psalm. Let me read you the crisis first, and then I'm gonna pray uh, coming out of that. So verses one through 13 first. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in, in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, and all his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high and out of his sight. As for his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all the generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. And he seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. And he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O God, O Lord. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? let me pray there in this world Lord and maybe even in this room there's a lot of suffering you know exactly how bad it is you know the trials that we have faced this week you know the trials that we have been given to to carry for a lifetime you know the trials that we have not chosen but have come our way you know the hurts you know the pains you know the tears you know the sleepless nights you know the people that we love so very dearly who are struggling you know Lord lead us please in this time I pray God for this for this message even tonight in the middle of an ice storm that you would be moving in our hearts in this room in this gym right now what we need are not platitudes What we need are not a a, a guest speaker with a catchy saying. What we need is the living God. We need you, Lord. You are the source of our comfort. You are the source of our help. You are the source of our joy, our endurance, our delight. We need you, Lord. So would you come? Lord, I know there's not many of us, but you love every one of us. Would you come? and meet with each one in this place tonight. So that we could have the joy of that and you could get the glory in that. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, those those first 13 minutes, they're 13 verses have given us a very raw moment in the life of the psalmist. He's picked up, and you can almost picture furious pen strokes writing down and pouring out this deep pain of his heart. His heart is shaking under suffering, shaking because of the hurt that's been given to him. And what specifically is the kind of suffering that he's going through? Well, it's the kind of suffering of, of a wicked person who's attacking him a difficult, wicked person who's attacking him. He asks this big question in verse one, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then he begins to detail and describe how awful this person is or these people are who are afflicting him. Now you can keep your head in the text if you'd like. I'll summarize each verse as we go through. Verse 2, we see that in their arrogance, they're violently seeking to afflict the poor. In verse 3, they're filled with pride. They chase after money and they renounce the Lord and they look down on contempt upon the Lord. And how do they do this? By not only seeking Him, verse 4, but, but by denying that He even exists. And then verse 5, he rejects the judgments of God. He despises the word. He scoffs at his opponents. He puffs at them, it says. And then verse 6, as a result, he says, I'm untouchable. I'm completely untouchable. Now, you see what he's happened is he's fractured the vertical relationship with his God. He's utterly denounced him and denied him. And because that's been shattered now, that translates into a shattered horizontal relationship. Now that I don't love God and respect him and acknowledge him, now I'm going to go out and wreck the people around me. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 7, his words are now filled with curses, lies, and oppression against others. Verse 8, he's actively looking to hurt people and to victimize the weak. Verse 9, he's literally lurking like a lion looking to ambush someone. Verse 10, the worst part is he's actually powerful. People are actually getting mowed down by this person. Verse 11, he boasts that God can't see him. And then in verse 13, he says that not only does God not exist, if he doesn't exist, he doesn't even care. Here's some of his words he says. You see them on the screen. There's no God. I shall not be moved. I shall not meet adversity. His vertical actions, the wicked heart, has disregarded the Lord, he's cursed the Lord, he's he's ignored the Lord, he's trivialized the Lord, and then now in his horizontal actions, he's hurting others, oppressing the poor, scorning enemies, boasting that he can't be stopped, cursing, threatening, lying. The arrogance, the hurt he's causing. And the psalmist steps back and says, look at him. And he's winning. He seems to be getting ahead. That's the psalmist's pain. It's directly an oppressor. And his heart is getting racked in the turbulence of this, of the trial, of the pain, of the hurt, of the difficulty. And so he says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? There's a lot of reasons you could say that though. There's a lot of different kinds of suffering, even maybe even represented in this room. Maybe you have resonated with the psalmist thus far and said, yeah, no, I've got that person in my life attacked oppressed by uh, but for others we say this why O oh Lord do you stand far away for other reasons probably the defining mark of our generation in our lifetimes all of us occurred back in September 11th in 2001 when almost 3000 people were killed in New York City in World Trade Center in Washington DC at the Pentagon and then outside in a field in Pennsylvania 3000 people why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? How about even just this, this past week? Just a little after 5 p.m. on Friday, April 7th, the Humboldt Broncos were heading north when their bus is hit by a tractor-trailer on Highway 35. And of the 30-some-odd people on the bus, 16 are killed, and the rest were all injured. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? You know, I've been visiting with, a, with a, a saint in our church, and she's a lovely woman, has lived an enormous life, godly life for the Lord, and, and she wants to go home and be with her husband and be with her Lord, most importantly. And I visit her in the palliative care ward in the hospital, and uh, she continues to stay. And the Lord continues to keep her there. I think, in part, to bless me with every conversation I get to have. But, but the sad thing, when you walk into the palliative care ward, you walk by her room. There's another room, and each time I walk by that room, there's a new person in that room, because the last person is gone. And the most painful was the child that was sitting there one day, and then the next time I come back, and the child is gone. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? And then there's your story. There's your struggle. There's your pain. There's your suffering. You know, the one that the people know here at the church, or, or maybe they don't know. Maybe you don't want to tell them. For good reasons. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Or maybe it's the battle with cancer yourself. Maybe it's the assault that you were the victim of. Or the abuse in the past. The lost child or the lost spouse. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? And then there's a million lesser pains, aren't there? Uh, Not life-ending, but very painful nonetheless. The employment struggle, the persecution from family or friends, or the oppression that you face, or the ridicule at school or at work, or or the medical struggle, or the financial struggle, or the fact that your marriage stinks, or the fact that you despise your job, or the fact that you wish you could change your life. Just anything different than what I got. Why, O Lord? Do you stand far away? Suffering is real for all of us, isn't it? Tim Keller, he's a way smarter man than me. He's a a pastor. He said this, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we work to be healthy and wealthy and comfortable with friends and family and successful in our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Something comes along and the heart shakes in turbulence of suffering, and then we're left saying, yeah, yeah, where is he? Well, today I want to speak from God's Word about hope, real hope in the middle of real pain and suffering, and the conclusion that the psalmist gives you, which is the conclusion for all of us here today, is this same conclusion, which is "And in my pain The only answer is the Lord. The only one who can give any comfort for whatever painful experience, whatever degree of suffering that you're facing here tonight, the only one who can give any answer and any help is the Lord. And I say this, the Lord answers suffering and he answers it perfectly. He answers suffering and he answers perfectly. Now, the psalmist, his heart has gone through some turbulence, but now it gets steadied. And now what he begins to write, Is real help for the hurting heart. Maybe even here tonight. Real help for you. And now this is the part where I give you points that you could write down. And up until this point, you have said, where are the points that I can write down? (laughs) Here's the first one I want to show you. Um, In my suffering, in my suffering, I can take comfort from the truth that the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Verse 14 and 15, the psalmist cries out, Don't you see, don't you see, don't you see, Lord? Don't you see what's happening to me? And then in verses 14 and 15, we get the answer. Yes, yes, says the Lord. I see it fully and completely. Look at the word, verse 14. But you do see, for you note the mischief and the vexation. You know what he's doing, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless, Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to count until you find none. In, in this truth, there is such comfort today that God, our God, the only God, knows perfectly what's happening in your life. But listen, this is not some, this is not some absent-minded ledger keeping here. Uh, the word there for note, you note, means to note with great care. It means to pay careful attention to. This is a God who leans in and checks out exactly what's going on. Now why is God observing closely? Why, why is God looking at this so intently? Well, I want you to see this so, so, so that he may take it into his hands. He may, literally, he may pick it up and put it in his hands and deal with it. The image here is of an assembly line with a a careful worker on the assembly line watching the items pass one by one by one and then, nope, he pushes the button, stops the line, picks that item up that's broken, distorted, twisted, not right in whatever degree and sets it aside and says, I will deal with that. I will care for that. That's not right. That's the sense behind these words. He notes it. This is the image, but there's more. We get, we get what God will do, but we also get the why God will do it. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Do you see this? God does this. He responds. Why does he do this? He responds to his children. He loves his children. To the poor, to the tired, to the broken children of God, he says, I Know what's going on. I know it completely. Completely. The Lord answers suffering, and he answers it perfectly. God knows. God knows the situation you're in. He knows the the pain you're in. He knows the tears that you face. He knows the heartache. He knows that unsolvable problem that you can't fix. He knows it completely. But listen, just saying that God knows something that you're going through That he's aware that you're going through this suffering. He knows it intimately. He doesn't fully describe the matter. It doesn't provide all the help we need. It's just one piece in the picture. So let me give you the second piece. Let's put that in play. The Lord knows, yes, but I want you to see this also. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Verse 16, the psalmist goes on. Again, as his heart gets steadied, verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever, and the nations perish from his land. The Lord is sovereign. That means he's totally sovereign forever and ever. Not only does does he know fully and completely all of the suffering that you're facing and all of the suffering that you're going through, but he also fully and completely is ruling over all of those elements forever and ever, the text says. Forever and ever. He rules over every single pain, every single hurt, every single tear, every instance of suffering. He is ruling over forever and ever. Now what that means for the believer, what that means for the believer is that you have not fallen out of the hand of God. You were gripped and gripped tightly, held fast in the midst of suffering by the God who rules the universe forever and ever. Now if we hold to the total sovereignty of God, which is, is, is spoken of all over in this book, the complete and total rule of our God, then three implications come out of this. Three implications. If the Lord reigns forever and ever, I want you to see this, then no other power, no other power can interfere with God's rule. No other other being, no other human, no other angelic being can come along and move that plan one inch beyond what God wants it to move. God has complete power and no one interferes with him. What a great knowledge, what a great piece of truth that is. You will never be placed outside of the hand of God. God is always dealing with you directly. And then if that's also true, then, then, then it's also true that God has the complete power to start and stop suffering. He can start it and he can stop it because again, God is in charge of your life, not someone else, not randomness, not chaos. God starts it, God stops it. Now here's the hard part. Here's the third one in the hard part. Then therefore, if we hold the total sovereignty of God, then we have to believe that God has permitted the suffering to come to my life. Now the heart is troubled by this, isn't it? Wait a second, wait a second. Why would God allow something so painful to come into my life? Why would God allow something so painful to come into my life? And this is, this is, this is, this is meat and potatoes truth. This is not milk truth. This is for the mature who are ready to hear this. This is, this is, this is for the big boys and the big girls. Why does God allow something so painful to come into my life to affect me in this place that I'm in right now? Because it must mean that God is intending for something more than my happiness in this life. There must be some greater goal that God is working towards. You see, we often get this wrong, don't we? We forget that we we live this life with a certain destination in mind, that this life is not all there is. My my wife and I, you saw my family, aren't they cute? Uh, 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 my, my two oldest girls are major, major fans of theater, they, they couldn't watch Disney movies, they were so intense, so we decided to play them, they decided to play them old musicals from like the 1950s, so they know all these old musicals. So one of their favorite musicals is, is uh, An American in Paris, you know, Gene Kelly, anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, there's a musical in in Toronto the, at, at uh, the, the, the what's the theater the big anyways the big big theater down there in Toronto and they were so excited about this but they'd never been to Toronto like this before they've been to the X but nothing else so we said okay we're going to Toronto so we get in we get in we get in the the, the go train and we drive in the go train they love the go train this is amazing they got an eight year old and a and a ten year old this is amazing daddy and then I said now what's happening next is we're going in the subway and their mind was like the subway you got to be kidding me, we're going to the subway. And we go in the subway, walk down the subway. They're they're just looking around like, this is incredible, the subway. This is amazing. We pay the tokens, we walk in, the train goes in, and the train comes out, and there's an empty hole, and they're like, it was like, do it again. This is amazing. I think if we set up a couple chairs and sat them down there, they would have sat there all day. But that's not where we were going. We were going to something greater. And you can imagine, I mean, if, if, kids get, if your kids get that excited about the subway, what are they going to do with live theater and music and singing and dancing for people who love it? Well, yeah, they were, they were bonkers about that. That's where we wanted them to go. We didn't want them to sit in the subway and stare at the subway all day. There was a greater plan, and the greater plan was to remove them from something that they thought they'd like. Come on, girls, we need to go. And we need to go to where we're really going, where you can find the greatest delight. Maybe, maybe... One of God's plans in suffering is to pull our hands away from this life that we love so much to prepare our hearts for the next life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. What if this life and this present happiness on this broken, fractured world is not meant to be my highest aim? What if God is more interested in cultivating me as a child for my real home? And, and loved ones, your real home is so much greater than this place with all of its hurts and all of its pains and all of its brokenness. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The reality is, is that one second in heaven will wash away all the hurts of this life. And I'm not saying that to trivialize whatever you're going through tonight. Whatever you're going through tonight is real. Suffering is suffering. But we are facing something that will undo it all. As we walk to glory, how great that will be. God has a plan in suffering. Maturity sees that God is reigning in the suffering. It's not easy easy to do. There's tears down my cheek when I try to do this. But it's the truth that God has a purpose in his suffering. The the alternatives to this are horrifying. If if God is not completely in charge of my suffering, then somebody else is in charge of my suffering. Who else is in charge of my suffering? Then that means that I can fall away and, and, and the enemy can seize me whenever he wants to afflict me. Or worse, then God doesn't care about my suffering. But those aren't true. God is completely in control. God does love and does care. God is ruling with complete knowledge of what the suffering is and with complete power through it forever and ever. The power to do what, you say? Well, if he's not going to stop it because sometimes he doesn't stop it, then what's the power for? What's, the, what's he going to give me? What's he got complete power for? If he's got sovereign rule, what's he doing with this sovereign rule? Let me show you this thirdly. Not only does the Lord answer by knowing and also sovereignly reigning, the Lord also answers suffering perfectly, perfectly by strengthening us. The Lord will strengthen us in it. Verse 17 says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. What a comfort that is. O Lord, you hear the desire of the broken heart and you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. The Lord hears the cry of the afflicted and he will strengthen them to go through the trial. Now I can't promise you today that the Lord will remove the pain and the trial that you're going through. I can't promise you today that the Lord will say stop to that employment struggle or stop to that persecution you're facing from family or friends, the oppression. I can't tell you that the Lord will say stop to the ridicule you face at work or at school or at home or that medical struggle or that financial struggle or I can't promise you that God will solve your marriage problem overnight. I can't promise you that God will give you a different job. I can't promise you that God will alleviate all the pain of all the hurt and all the suffering that you're facing. But I can promise you today, what I can promise you from God's word today is that the Lord, if you're willing, will strengthen your heart in it. Strengthen. And that word means to make stronger. And, and, and behind it, there's a sense of to make you ready for something, to make you more ready for the troubles of life. But notice, did you notice this in this verse? You will incline your ear. You hear the desire of the afflicted. How do you get this strength? You get it by calling out. You get it by asking for help. You express your desire. You ask and the Lord gives the strength. You don't ask, you don't get. Now I remember when, when they used to have that store in Canada, Target. I went to the Target one day and, and someone came up to me and they said, hey, do you know where the bicycles are? And I said, I don't know where the bicycles are. Probably back there. And the guy's like, okay, thanks. And then after that, someone came up and said, do you know, do you know where the blankets are? And I was like, no, I don't know where the blankets are. Like, probably over there, I don't know. Isn't there a sign that says blanket? And I walk away, why is everyone asking me questions? And I look down, and I'm wearing khaki pants, beige khaki pants, you know, whatever, and a bright red T-shirt that I walked in, right? And so I realized, oh, they think I work there! And then all of a sudden I felt bad for the people that I said, I don't know, like worst Target employee ever. Like, People are probably saying after the fact, you know, I know why that place went out of business. They had the worst employees. (laughs) You know what they're doing? They're asking somebody that they think they can help. Can you help me? find? I can't help you find this stuff. You know, how much of your life in reality is barking up the wrong tree, asking the wrong people for help? When the right person, the omnipotent sovereign ruler of the universe is right there saying, ask me for help. Come ask me and I'll strengthen you. You know, there's many responses to suffering in this world that the world picks up and says, you know, this is how you respond to suffering. Uh, you should respond to it with stoicism. Here's a couple. Stoicism means just, just, just walk through it. Everyone suffers, so just walk through and do it. Uh, just just be brave and do it. How about cynicism? Ah, you know, it's never going to get better. Things are horrible. Things are, it's going to get worse, and you're going to face it, and it's going to be horrible. Isolation, that's a common one, isn't it? I'm going to deal with this pain right now by hiding away. how about this last? Addiction. Addiction. I'm going to struggle with this thing. I'm I'm going to put something on me so that I can get through this. And I'm going to put more on me the next time. And then I'm going to put more the next time. Something to cope with the pain. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to be cynical about it. I'm going to run away from it. Or I'm going to find something that gets me through it. This is how the world handles it but we're already learning from God's word so far. We're learning that the only acceptable response to suffering is desperation, this last one. Desperation for the Lord. The Lord, right now, even right now, today, is inclining his ear. Is he hearing anything from you in the middle of your suffering, and your trial? And I hope you see this too, I'm comforted. I'm really comforted, I hope you are too, by the way the psalmist is talking to God. This is not a, uh, I am, oh thee and thy, and, and, and now I've stated, 15 amazing, uh, high doctrinal, no, this is this is begging God to help. This is how our God responds, please help me, please help me, please help me. Here's how one writer puts it, hardship, sorrow, disability, persecution and death are not good in themselves, but God in His grace uses them for our good and His glory. The ne- Look at this, the nearness of God awakens us to Him in our trials and draws us towards his grace. The desperate heart finds that in the Lord. The desperate heart finds this. The Lord answers suffering, and he will answer it perfectly. He knows what you're going through. He's ruling over everything. He will strengthen your heart. And now lastly, I want to show you this. In my suffering, I can take comfort from the fact the truth that the Lord will do justice. Verse seventeen. Let's slide into eighteen with it. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline their your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that the man, so that man who is of the earth, may strike terror no more. So that man who is made of dirt may strike terror no more. Here's what's coming. Justice is coming. There will come a day and it will come soon when all of the wrongs of this world, all of the losses of this world, all of the pains, all of the hurts, all of the persecutions, all of it will be made right. There will come a day when all of these light momentary afflictions will be washed away in the eternal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will come a day, hallelujah, there will come a day when this will end washed away in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you today from God's word about hope, real hope. In the turbulence of your heart, whatever it's going through, you can steady it with the truth that the Lord answers suffering, and he answers it perfectly. He knows. He knows all the details, all the time, to the fullest degree. No tear falls without our God knowing it. He reigns forever and ever. He controls the events of your life to the greatest good. He will strengthen you. He'll pour steel into your heart to make you ready for the storm. And he'll bring justice to the end. And, he, and, and, and death will stop, and abuse will stop, and sickness will stop, and suffering will stop, and pain will stop, and tears will stop forever and ever and ever. That's the truth. The Lord answers suffering. This is what the psalmist takes us to. Is that enough for you? I just want to talk to the real people. Is it enough for you to step back from the psalm and say, this is, I'm going through a hard time right now. I just need to remember that the Lord knows that he reigns, he'll strengthen me, and he'll bring justice. I just need, is that enough for you? Is it enough to know that just, what the suffering is, and that God knows it, and that he rules over it, and then he strengthens you in it, and he'll make it right. Is that enough? I wanted to talk to real people. Not people spouting sunshine and rainbows. Is that enough? Because I'll say this, it's not enough for me. It's not enough for me in the trials. It's not enough for me in the pain. These truths, they're truths and they're wonderful, but they don't hold me when I can't stand up. They don't come along and take my hand. They they, they don't don't walk with me day by day. You know what I need in the middle of this? I need a friend. I need a friend who will be with me. Now what the writer of Psalm 10 maybe saw, but what we full know, because we have all of it, we have the whole story, is that there is a friend who's coming. And there is a friend who will come and his name is Jesus. Now praise God how much more is there for for the heart that is suffering tonight, there's this truth and then there's the truth that yes, we know that our God knows. You see, Christianity is the only religion, the only religion in the world that has a God who suffers. No other religion even remotely comes close to the truth that the God of the universe walks into his creation and then walks into a position of the greatest suffering ever. But the Lord Jesus, The Lord Jesus is with you in your suffering. He is present with you. He knows more than anyone else. He understands more than anyone else what pain looks like. Listen, Jesus knows what it's like to lose a friend, He knows what it's like to weep at the graveside. Jesus knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be abused, physically and verbally. He knows what it's like to have no money. He knows what it's like to have no food. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by everybody closest to you in the world that you would love. He knows what it's like to be spat upon. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to die. Our God is the one the only one who was able to sympathize with us in our weakness and he willingly entered into this suffering because of his great love for you because of his great love and he then he what does he do he comes and redeems us from the hurt and the pain of all of this world and he's not immune to the pain in fact the greatest truth for us tonight is that the greatest sufferer who has ever lived is our God he has suffered the most Now this book tells you the story of a God who loves you so much that he was willing to suffer for you and then sit beside you in your pain and put an arm around you and say, I know, I know how hard it is. I know how painful this is. I know what you're going through. And I will carry you through this also. I told you today I wanted to speak from God's word about hope, real hope. I told you today that that the Lord answers suffering. He answers it perfectly. And how does he answer it? He answers it with himself. He gives you himself. Because of Jesus Christ, because of his life and his death for you, you can be certain that this suffering will never crush you. It will never destroy you because you can be certain that God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Where God, where Jesus Christ was abandoned, where Jesus Christ was forsaken, you will never be abandoned and you will never be forsaken. Someday soon, he will usher you into his eternal glory and then he will come right up to you and he will wipe away tears from your cheek. That's what the scriptures say. Now, let me ask you this. How close do you have to be to raise your hand to wipe a tear away? That's how close Jesus is coming to you. So this hurt I know is real. This pain I know is real. But the truth, the love of our savior speaks to us today. That God came for us to save us and then he will stay with us until that job is done. The psalmist asked the question at the beginning that maybe you were asking as well today. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And the answer that he comes to is that the Lord is not far away. He's, He's right here, right now with you. He says to you, I know that you're brokenhearted. I know that you're crushed in spirit. I am right here, right now. I know I'm reigning. I will strengthen you, and I will make it right. The Lord answers suffering. And he answers it perfectly.